everyone, welcome to Poetry Says. My name is Alice. Thank you so much for downloading and listening in. This is my third chat with Sydney poet Louise Carter. Lou came down to read for us at Sporting Poets and I couldn't pass up the opportunity to sit down with her at my house and just have a catch up really. We didn't have a plan going in as to what we would talk about, but when I first chatted with Lou, we talked about her thesis that she was just starting at the time in 2016 about the poetry of Luke Davies. And so we pretty quickly get into Davies' work, talking about his book Totem and uh, the subsequent Interferon Psalms, which are kind of like two sides of the same coin. For some reason in this chat, I come down really hard on Luke Davies, which is strange because I really love his work, but I think I felt the need to play devil's advocate a little bit because Lou is now so steeped in what Luke's doing and uh, the history of his work and what it means in terms of Australian poetry. I was just trying to push back a little bit. Uh, so we, we sort of, yeah, we take opposing sides at, at points in this conversation. We also touch on things like the romantic tradition in Australia and towards the end, we get into that knotty question that I think we come to a lot in this podcast, actually, which is the role of politics in the poems that we write and whether uh, we can step outside of politics when we write poetry, whether we should. Um, you can hear us both struggling pretty hard with this question. And I think that's because we both know that we're writing in a country that does questionable things politically every hour on the hour, pretty much. But yeah, I hope you get a lot out of this conversation, whether you know Davy's work already or you've never heard of it before. I hope this takes you into a new corner of Australian poetry. I, I feel like poetry is, it's the creation of epiphanies. Mm. And the first epiphany you experience with a, a poem is always significant it's like a first orgasm kind of thing you know like <laughs> yeah the first moment where you realize that you can do something with language that can't happen otherwise. yeah it, it opens a world yeah and so for i think we when we talked about this before mm. we were tossing the idea around we said that we both had the same uh poetic epiphany that being uh wilfred owen's yeah. An ecstasy of fumbling. Yeah. Yeah. Gas, gas, quick boys, an ecstasy of fumbling. Yeah. So what would that have been for you? For me, that would have been year eight, probably. Yeah, I think you're right. Definitely. Um, and it's interesting the word that the word ecstasy is, is in that line. And it's, it's as Keith says, he would dwell in ecstasy. Oh, yeah. And I've gone on to be quite interested in ecstatic poetry. Mm. Uh which I suppose is a kind of a, a violent epiphany, a spectacular epiphany, mm. which is, I mean, that's something that I love about the work of Luke Davies, of course. Yeah. Yeah. We need to, I want to talk more about Luke. I feel like in our yeah. first chat, we didn't. We didn't really. <laughs> well, I know, I, I actually know, know more now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know more and I know a lot more Yeah, yeah. Uh, than I did then, which was zero. So yeah, I think we should. Particularly because I've, um, I've been studying totem poem very intensely for the last 12 months. Yeah, cool. And it was such a, it's such a hard poem to study because it's, it's very long and it's where do you even begin yeah. with something like that. But I, I found ways into it. Um, 
yeah and it's it's been it's it's interesting because it's in studying that poem it's it's taught me it's taught me so much mm. uh, I feel like his work and all great poetry really like it it teaches you in in the process of engaging with it yeah for sure yeah do you have a favorite bit because I can go and get it oh so many yeah <laughs> I, I do <laughs> all right let me okay. get the book <laughs> thanks I think I, so when I was when I was in high school, I definitely had that moment with that Wilfred Owen poem. Yeah. But it was, in some ways, pre-conscious. I, I didn't end up... I even did an entire creative writing degree and an honours year uh, in my early 20s without having much involvement with, with poetry, just because I thought it was... I thought I wasn't smart enough or... I wasn't allowed inside that world. It sort of seemed for special, worthy people, and I mm. didn't feel that way about myself. Uh, so it wasn't until quite yeah my my late twenties and Luke Davies that was the moment that got me into poetry as an adult. Uh, and what was it particularly? It was, I mean, I I saw an, a news article for Interference Sums because he just won the Prime Minister's Literary Award. And I loved the description of that book, like being the, the dark side to Totem. Because mm. I, I was aware of Totem. I'd sort of flipped through it uh, in libraries and, and gone, oh, that's a bit, seemed a bit over the top to me at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. But the idea of there being this um, kind of an underworld, the, the dark side to the ecstatic, that appealed to me. Mm. <laughs> so I, I went out and bought that book and then it was just, I'd never read a book of poetry like that before. Like I was reading it literally while I was driving. <laughs> oh. I was so, it was speaking to me. It just, it just reached me. It was just uh, because of the way, I mean, it's, it's about inc in incredible grief, but it, there was like this ecstasy within it or this, this celebration of, of, of sorrow. Mm. Um, that really blew me away. So I, I went, back and revisited Totem and went back through his older work and just found, yeah, so much in it. And it's it all kind of speaks to each other. Um, I, I really love reading a particular author's, like, all of their work because you can see you can see the resonance in each. Yeah. Yeah. How many years are between Totem and Interferon? Ah, uh, so Totem was 2004, Interfering 2011. Yeah, right. Yeah. I wonder if he started writing it pretty much immediately. Um, because no, it's so, it couldn't be more different. No, yeah, yeah, stylistically as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, particularly because he's a, you know, he's really into uh, meter mm. form. Exactly, yeah. Mm. And then you get into Interfering and it's just like kind of a mess yeah well, I, I saw he I saw him interviewed at the Sydney Writers Festival and he was saying it was a real challenge not to write in in meter to write prose poetry like to break it all apart this mm -hmm. deconstruction but it was very appropriate for the subject material because his mind was kind of coming apart yeah and his life was yeah it like it represented the, the chaos I suppose of that situation mm. Yeah, maybe we should talk a bit about that because I'm I'm suddenly aware that you and I are like deep into into the Davies matrix. Yeah. 
and other people might not have a clue what we're on about. So starting with Totem. So Totem is a long love poem. Is that a fair description? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's a 40-page love poem. Yeah. Yeah. And then, by contrast, Interference Psalms is... Was it 33 Psalms? On the 99 names of God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just a very contained and down-to-earth kind of set up there. Um, but so, and he's writing Interference Psalms in light of this medical situation that he's in. Yeah. Hmm. Well, three three things. He, he moved to LA and uh, his relationship fell apart and he had health problems um, he had a bad liver because of hepatitis mm-hmm. so he was on interferon treatment to try and fix that which was giving him horrible side effects so it just felt like apart from things in his life not going so well he felt like he was literally dying yeah <laughs> yeah which he sort of was so <laughs> kind of heavy yeah i feel like there's a lot in the book which is like it moments where he's reaching for last words maybe or like trying to sum things up yeah and and realizing that there is like nothing he could say would be in any way uh adequate or useful so he'll just say something like yeah after the what is it after the something the coffee breath oh the halitosis after the coffee the halitosis yeah i don't know i should find that bit actually because that's kind of i have to admit i don't love this book Really? Um, Actually, everyone feels that way. Yeah, um, right. Like, there's bits that are amazing, but so much of it I feel very uh, confused and alienated. So <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. And it's weird because normally I'm lazy and I like, quote unquote, easy reads. <laughs> uh, I, but the, the parts of it that did speak to me it, it were so strong and, and so... I think it was the first time in my life that I fell in love with a text that that didn't make sense to me. Mm. Normally that annoys me and I find it frustrating to the point of can't be bothered. Yeah. But there were just so many moments of beauty. It didn't make sense, but the beauty alone kept me in there. Yeah. And I mean, this is maybe a controversial statement, but I feel like a lot of poetry I read these days it doesn't make sense and it's not beautiful. Uh, I, I'll forgive anything if it's if it sounds beautiful. Uh, it doesn't have to make immediate sense to me, but if it... You know what I mean? Uh, if it's just, like, abrasive or... Yeah, I just... I, it's a weird... We're living in a weird time where the musicality of language in poetry doesn't seem to be a prominent concern for many people. I mean, mm. that's a generalisation, but... Yeah, and that's, like... I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about like criticism of Davies because I feel mm. like I suspect, and this is only based on my own reading of his work in light of like other Australian poets that I've read, mm. that he would be criticised for being too beautiful, mm. one, yeah. and too, too self-interested. Baroque. Yeah, Baroque. Yeah. And, it's and all too about, grandiose. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Grandi- yeah. Massively grandiose. Yes. But in Totem, yeah. the grandiosity I like because it's a love yeah. poem. Yeah. And he's like totally overwhelmed with love. Yeah. In Interferon, I feel like the grandiosity is like it's about 
my oncoming death. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, like, he actually makes reference that's... to Totem in Interferon. Yeah. Where, and you can almost see him rolling his eyes. Like he says, oh, my grandiose phase. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. That, like in Totem, there are, we were talking about bees earlier, but lots of bees and flowers and mm. pollination and yeah. fertility. Mm. In interferon, you've got dead bees being skimmed off the top of a chlorinated pool. Mm. It, it's the stark moments of reality, like brutal reality, which actually it, it is present in his early work, but Totem is a, a, a swirling hallucination of uh, fantasy mm. in, in some regards. But interferon, it's... it's it's horrific coming back down to earth. <laughs> well, why don't we read? I'll read a bit of time yeah. and then you can reply. I found the coffee bit. Um, I'll just read the first bit of Totem. Yeah, I'm super into this, which is unusual for me. This is nothing like most of the other poetry that I like, but for some reason this does it for me. In the yellow time of pollen, in the blue time of lilacs, in the green that would balance on the wide green worlds, air filled with flux, whirled in a belly, in the blue lilac weather, she had written a letter. You came into my life really fast and I liked it. When we let go the basket of the good luck birds, the sky erupted open in the hail of its libation. There was a gap and we entered it gladly. Indeed the birds may have broken the sky and we, soaked, squelched in the mud of our joy, braided with wet-thighed surrender. There's so much in there that shouldn't that I should hate, like hail of its libation. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's so over the top. Definitely, when I first picked up that book, I was a more cynical. You know, young people can be cool and cynical. I picked it up and I was like, "What is this? Like yeah. flowers, birds? You know, <laughs> the yellow time of pollen? Get a grip! <laughs> it seems Get a grip. too flowery. Yes. Yeah. Too many flowers. <laughs> and it was, to a point that it seemed embarrassing to mm. me. Mm. Uh, it's weird that as I've grown older, I've come to really appreciate it. Yeah. Although, um, <laughs> as a personal aside, I, I don't think I had known love like that until I um, almost recently in my life. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you want to probably have some pretty good relationship going on to read this book. Yeah. I really like it. Um, another personal aside, I'm doing a, a doctorate on this and... Uh, I'm having a happy relationship at the moment uh, in the last year of my life, which has been the year in which I've been able to really start talking about Totem. I, I couldn't even look at it before, mm-hmm. but it's just, uh, I now kind of get it. The, the fertility, the fecundity, the, the growth, the, the greenery. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not necessarily, a, it's beyond romance, I would say. It's uh yeah, it's a love poem to life itself. Yeah. And and I that's what I'm trying to say. It's I don't think I'd ever felt so in love with life before. Just yeah, mm. living. Mm. So, but that's also what it is. I mean, uh, he he was a heroin addict for so many years, which is a kind of dying. And so coming out of that uh and realizing that the world is beautiful. It's a, it's a giant epiphany. Yeah. Mm. So there's that, and mm. then there's Interferon Psalms. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to read a little bit of that, just so people have a sense of it? 
Um, how different it can is. Can I just take a moment to find bits I like? Yes. Sorry. Take your time. <laughs> oh, okay. Love this bit. It's terrible. Yeah. Terribly sad. The blade of my happiness broke at the hilt. I flailed without balance at air. A break at the hilt is a hard break to fix. Life in search of a blacksmith. Of bellows and tongs I knew little. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I I don't know if I really like that, but I remember it very clearly. Like, as you're reading it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember reading that bit. Um, it still makes my hair... The, the, my arm has stand up. And... That's really cool. Look, maybe I'm in a totem spot and yeah. it's going to take me some time to get over to the interference spot. I think um, yeah. times in my life when I've been very sad, it feels like creatively a waste because you don't feel like writing anything because you feel like there's nothing of worth in that situation. You, you think there's nothing worthy in suffering. But that book showed me that you can alchemize suffering into something beautiful and worthwhile mm-hmm. so that's why i found that book to be because no one feels like writing ecstatic poetry when they're sick uh, and i asked him how he managed to do it and he said i have no idea <laughs> to write interference arms yeah yeah because he in in the book he says i He's going through this treatment for a year and he's like, I, I would I would write nothing from the centre of a monstrous place. Mm. But um, he said just writing this mock biblical language just felt good. It, it actually helped to take away from the suffering. So that's how it came about. Yeah. Oh, this is another one I really like. Good. <laughs> it's so achingly sad. Though the skin rankled, the rain made good its promises, so constantly extravagant, and I was always soaked, at least in spirit, and you were always wet, it goes without saying, in that ideal world, which is gone. Cats come in. Thanks, Millie. <laughs> it's great. In Thanks that ideal world, which is gone. It just oh, kills me that yeah, way. I do like parts of it very very much Mm. and when I first started reading it I went I was at the Eltham library for some weird reason which is like way out in the burbs Mm. and I found it on the shelf and I sat down and I started reading it and um at that moment I really really loved it Mm. Uh, I think I read the first uh like section all in one go just sitting there in this in this library and then bought it and then didn't touch it for like a year because mm. I was like saving it mm. and then by the time I by the time I came back to it I thought oh this is like different than what I thought it was going to be and mm. I don't know maybe my headspace had changed um yeah but I like it when it gets funny it's it's a really funny book yeah I love the line where it's he says so I I praised you mighty one all that all that remained was to get to the gym. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's a bit here talking about navigational dis- discomfort, the explorers called it. A searing lock in the vertebrae and in one's neck. And oh my God, what the fuck is that? Disaster of immobility. For months you clench the steering wheel. Um, 
and then yeah this next stanza the the night sky was huge but at any one time it was daylight somewhere else rendering the business calls impractical like that i feel like that juxtaposition of like night sky hugeness yep. that's like pointing to celestial divine yep. massive stuff and then just being like yeah and i couldn't call people in sydney because they were asleep but there's <laughs> also um i've been looking at the work of dorothy porter uh in relation to totem pole oh really yeah and there's oh. all these similarities you would never realize until you put them next to each other but essentially what they're doing is they're manipulating scale so you've got the vastness of the sky and then you've got the business calls mm-hmm. so it's the yeah it's a meeting place between the the mundane and the everyday and the extraordinary yeah. and uh, by Putting those two things together, it uh, it does weird things to your brain, <laughs> mm. Mm. and that that's the key to reading Davies, I would say. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's really cool. Did they know each other? Or... I don't think so. I'm not hundred okay. percent sure, but essentially, and this has been such an interesting thing for me in in researching romantic poetry, is that if you're drawing from that well of inspiration if you are feeling in love and ecstatic, that the way that that comes through in, in poetic language is similar across the board, regardless of whether you've even read, you know, your predecessors, like the original romantics or whatever. Mm. It's just, uh, I mean, you get into like Jungian territory with the collective unconscious, but I, I personally believe that, yeah, it's, it's, it's because it has musical qualities it's almost like a, uh, like a harmony mm. that is, uh, it's like an assonance with, with love. Like that's just what love sounds like. So mm. that's how the poetry is crafted. If it's coming from a place of emotional sincerity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Except that mm. um, I'm being very antagonistic with you today. It's fine. Because <laughs> you're sitting across from me. Um, <laughs> Except that there has to be more at work, obviously, because there are so many love poems that I've written and so many love poems that I've heard yeah. that have just been like, if if it's a harmony, then those poems are, are like discord, <laughs> like right. just well, clanging. <laughs> uh, I suppose it's just an, an aesthetic sensibility. I, I think if you're a kind of person who is a writer of love poetry and if you if your inner ear is attuned to that sounds right you know what i mean it's and it's going to be a different experience for different people but there's a particular bandwidth that i think that dorothy porter and luke davies were mining Mm -hmm. Uh, because yeah there's there's heaps of similarities between their work which yeah i I wasn't expecting yeah right Mm. that's really cool yeah um so you're looking at romantic, Australian romantic <laughs> yes. poetry, right. So what a, can you talk about some of the like criticism that poets have written in that vein have copped? Because well, I know that it's something that... There's a, there's a major theoretical book uh, written by Paul Kane, which is um, Australian poetry, romanticism and negativity, in which he... His hypothesis is that Australia didn't have 
a romantic movement in the 1800s because we were a penal colony and there weren't many people and the people there weren't writing poetry. They were having hard, horrible lives, basically, Uh, which is definitely accurate. But he was saying that it left a kind of void in our poetic lineage and that any attempt to um, rectify this void came through as a kind of belated romanticism, which was essentially reflective of an absence. And uh, I would say that's mostly true if you look at Australian poetry up until the 80s. Uh, But then you've got poets like Dorothy Porter and Robert Adamson writing very lush romantic poetry, which I argue does not reflect an absence at all. It it Mm -hmm. reflects growth and you know fecundity and blossoming yeah so i think that australian poetry did undergo a change around about that period uh and yeah i mean i'm looking at luke davies in terms of i'm calling it postmodern romanticism which is a a weird combination because postmodernism is characterized by being ironic and uh not necessarily emotionally sincere, whereas romanticism is all about emotional intensity and first-person narration. So to put those two things together seems like it shouldn't work or shouldn't exist. Mm. But it's, there are ways around that. You can. I'm arguing that he uses postmodernism in the service of romanticism, that you can... You can take a postmodern technique, like so. He writes in a kind of mock bi- biblical language quite a lot, and he does that in totem with um, kind of Song of Solomon. He, he takes on that aesthetic in a postmodern way to write a romantic poem, and there's this tension between those two aesthetics, which to me makes a very interesting. And uh, I think there's kind of this energy within that it's something that shouldn't hold together but does Mm. and you can see that in the title of interference psalms like two words that really don't go together it's an awkward title and yet there's this energetic tension in that that i think charges the whole book with this kind of aliveness which is so apt given that it's it's someone who felt they were dying and that he's like put his life force into this book Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and kind of goes back to what you were saying before about scale too. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that before. Hmm. That's really cool. It sounds like it's coming like together. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've become also interested in, uh, like I've been reading Joseph Campbell, of course, The Power of Myth, etc. Mm. Um, that there are mythological undercurrents in well in all writing but to have a kind of mythic story taking place in the 21st century while you're buying groceries and catching planes and watching tv Mm. that we that our lives have significance regardless of these mundane modern things that surround us and that you can make beautiful and grand work out of these tiny mundane things of our lives. Mm. It, it gives me hope and, yeah, personally, it, it makes me feel like my life has meaning 
which is important for me. <laughs> it does help. Bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I've become personally in my own work obsessed with um, all of the mundane details I experienced growing up in, in suburbia have now made my work so rich and interesting because I think everyone has meaningful lives and the, the settings of these lives are always going to be different, but it's, it's how you put it together. And poetry is a way of, of um, sh- revealing the, the beauty and the meaning behind what is on a superficial level irre- irrelevant and boring. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I think the thing that I do really like about Interfere on Psalms is that it shows how arbitrary those distinctions are. Mm, like, yeah. Uh, I think Davies is kind of like aware that on the one hand his death his impending death yeah is like hugely significant yeah to him yeah but also he's looked like um having found a copy of running with light you you understand too that he thinks about things on like a like universe level scale and so he knows that he's also nothing and yeah none of it will matter in any kind of sense yeah it's everything and nothing yeah 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 um yeah i mean i don't know i'm pushing back against this book a lot but only because i think it can take it Um, yeah 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 i think (laughs) that's fair like um i think don't disagree with what you're saying yeah i think they're both really great but i think there are also angles from which they can be challenged and i think they can stand up to that I took like this passage from Totem and I put it up against a, a Dorothy Porter passage and they're the same, like in terms of what they're describing. That's um, so cool. And if you want to get into it, like there's echoes of the wasteland in, in, in both of them, actually. Uh, whether that's, well, I, in the case of Davies, it would be deliberate, but Porter, I'm not sure. I mean, it probably was. Anyway, I'll find it. <laughs> cool. Oh, this is this passage... Like, just in terms of what I was saying about musicality, there's um, this really subtle uh, use of, of assonance and, and kind of, uh, what do you call it, slant rhymes or imperfect rhymes in it, that it, it's talking about a sunset and uh, rain, like rain in the early evening, and I can, I can hear it, I can hear the rain hitting the leaves in this passage, it just kills me. It's... Um, in the blue time of lilacs, the last colour standing was the mauve that jacarandas leak when all else has gone grey. Last glow before night, the brightest the earth ever gave. Far across the estuary, the mangroves rippled in the rain. I don't know, it kills me. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I feel like Sydney poets too. You guys get jacarandas. Yeah. You get mangroves. You get all this stuff. Yeah. Can, There's more yeah. tropics in it, I suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. You get to draw on these things. But the weather of Melbourne is poetic. It's... Yeah. <laughs> well, just in the sense that it's so volatile. Yes, no, true. Look, there's material everywhere. I mean, once you've been through a Sydney summer and it's been 40 degrees for two weeks in a row and, like, blazing sun, I mean, yay, blue sky, but... <laughs> yeah, not fair. It drives you mad. It's fair. <laughs> it's fair enough. <laughs> I feel like I've been really hard on Davies and I don't... I would hate 
for people to think that I somehow disliked his work. Like, I don't think you've been hard. I am, um, yeah. I mean, if I ever see one of his books, I get it. And, yeah. I, I would say that everything you're saying he is well aware of and that he has written it into the piece itself. Yeah. Uh, he makes fun of himself a lot. It's yeah. another aspect of his work I just love. Yeah. Right. Okay. So maybe that's what I haven't quite seen in yeah. Interferon yet is that he knows that yes. he is writing a very um, self-referential poem and he's like sees yeah. the funny side of that. Yes. Um, I don't know. Like I think this is something that we have chatted about a few times when we've met up, but mm. like I personally feel as if uh, there's quite a bit of duty in – uh, poetry being written out of Australia, like a sense of duty to not just write about ourselves and mm. to to write in um, yeah response to you know a completely unaddressed and unresolved mm. uh, colonial sure. legacy. Uh, you know the fact that as a country we just lock people up and don't talk about it. All this sort of stuff yeah. that um, I think, like, I don't know. And, I, like, two opposing thoughts, I think two opposing things at once. One yeah. is, like, for the love of God, everyone shouldn't have to write about that. Mm-hmm. But also, like, for the love of God, you can't not write about that. Why? <laughs> well, my question to you is why? Why, why either of those? <laughs> well, I mean... If you're making a piece of music, does it have to be politically motivated? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, yeah. But then... I don't know. It's kind of like, if you don't address those things, are you then just having a lovely time? Well, I mean, we're different people. I mean, I'm more of a hedonist than you. <laughs> I'm like the furthest thing from a hedonist. So yeah. <laughs> that's why I love hanging out with you because I'm like, oh my God, this is what life could be like. Right. Yeah, I'm like, it's pretty good. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So I guess, like, I wonder whether people read Davies and think that's nice, that's fine for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the same time, Look, this... I don't know that he should necessarily be held to that standard. I don't know that we should all be held to that standard because yeah. I don't know if that's healthy either. Sure. So that's the thing that Look, I keep I'm, turning I'm glad we're on. talking about this because I'm obsessed with this question too. Yeah. Uh, I don't tend to write about political topics in my work mm. because I feel... Uh, I'm not the right person to comment on it. I feel like I get frustrated with the nature of, of the news and the way that it's reported via social media, etc. And everyone has an opinion about everything. And you get people chiming in Facebook comments for a, a news article. Mm. And it's so reductive and uh, under-researched and not well thought through ever since particularly since i've been studying at postgraduate level i realized that 
that people can specialize in particular intellectual areas and that you to make an uneducated comment on something that really isn't your field is basically just noise it's it's not adding anything mm. so i feel that i can't add anything to these topics that i feel i don't know enough about so it's just a an empty opinion that i would be putting forward mm. Whereas I can write about personal things that are happening in my own life with a great deal of authority and sincerity. And uh, that's, that's just where I'm at. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if anyone's written a poem yet with the title Hot Take. <laughs> I know Bonnie Cassidy's written Hot Mess. Yeah. But I feel like Hot Take needs to be somebody's title. I think that's yours, Alex. <laughs> No, I don't want that. You, somebody else take that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I, I mean, I, I always liken everything to music. I'm a great lover of particularly popular music. I think it's yeah. the people's art form. Yeah. And I'm, I love the way that music can influence people spiritually and politically. Mm. And if you like a great Australian example of that would be like Midnight Oil, if you wanted to go full cliche, but. Mm. It's it's a merging of an important message, but also a great, emotionally sincere piece of art. And uh, I just get frustrated with people that are creating things where I agree with their politics, but I think the construction of it is uh, lacking. And uh, that seems to be sometimes overlooked because everyone agrees with the political message and it frustrates me as kind of a person that really loves the craft, if that makes sense. That is a controversial thing to say. <laughs> well, it's weird, though, because, like, so many people have said that to me. Right. Um, both here on the podcast and just, like, ad nauseum without a microphone in front of their face. So <laughs> oh, they're gonna come uh, it's, me. <laughs> it, might, it might be a controversial opinion, but it's, like, a widely held one as well. Mm. Um, I think... I mean, yeah. look, like, just for the record, I'm massively left-wing. <laughs> like, obviously, like, I've voted for the Greens. Like, I think the government sucks. Like, you know, it's shit what our country does to refugees and everyone. Like, <laughs> For the record. For the record. Yeah. Um, and there's a certain amount within me where I feel uh, really powerless, disempowered when mm. it comes to these topics, and it depresses me. And I would rather turn my attention to things that inspire me, like, you know, yeah. like the, just the beauty of living. And I think there's meaning in that. Yeah.